The following is a presentation of Real Racing USA. Florida racing, and I don't know about uh, you, Jack and Rob, but I think this is just such a, a special treat for us to have a former NASCAR driver on Inside Florida Racing tonight. Please welcome to Inside Florida Racing, Mr. Lake Speed. Well, thank you. Hi, Lake. I'm Cece, and it is our pleasure to have you on the show tonight. Glad to be here. Now, usually, Lake, at this time, uh, my co-host Rob does a special karting segment, and this ties in really great because that's where you started off with karting. Absolutely. I actually was fortunate enough to have two, two full racing careers, one in karts that lasted about 19 years, and then about 19 more years in the NASCAR deal. Now, Rob, when um, you were karting, did you follow and know about Lake Speed's uh, career? Well, not his karting career. Um, when I was karting, uh, well, Lake's NASCAR career was uh, at the time that I was still in high school, you know, probably uh, from 80 to 84 or so. Lake was probably in the uh, NASCAR, and uh, I graduated in 84, so I used to follow him on TV. First race was in the end of 1979, right at the very end of the season, and that was the beginning of it all. But you, you really um, accomplished a lot in karting, a six-time United States karting champion and the 1978 world karting champion, which my understanding is that was a huge accomplishment. Well, if you consider that no non-European has still today ever won except me. Wow, that's quite impressive, and and I understand that you um, there was a special award now in your honor for that um, accomplishment that you're giving um, well, it's not to really, go karters. It's not exactly having anything to do with the world championship thing. It's just something that actually uh, International Kart Federation I just honored me with asking if they could do this award and use my name for it to give to a driver or a team that's really gone kind of over and above as far as in their preparation and their enthusiasm, but also keeping a good attitude about their racing and what they're doing and, you know, and someone that's actually given to the sport, you know, and uh, a good example, if you want to call it. It's the Lake Speed Achievement of Excellence Karting Award. And it looked like it's maybe I was first uh, given out in 2006. Mm-hmm. That's right. Hey, Lake, did you, um, this is Rob, by the way, did you, um, I, I did, you got to meet Ayrton Senna and race with him back in 1978 before um, either one of you had really made it into uh, other than karting, you know, um, what was it like to uh, meet a guy like him back then, and do you remember actually racing with him at that time? Was he a good kart racer? He obviously probably was. Yeah, well, you know, <clears throat> the best of each country is, the, the World Championship of Karting is done a little bit different than a lot of things, but it's, it's more like an Olympics. 
where each country was allowed, I think, a maximum of six drivers to represent a country. And there would be over 100 drivers. I know the year I won, I think it was 26 countries represented. Uh, he was just, you know, one of the top guys from Brazil. And so you, when you went to those events, they're so big and there's so many people, you don't, and especially when you don't speak all his languages, <laughs> like a good old southern boy from Mississippi, I, I wasn't too fluent in a lot of that stuff. I'd become fairly fluent a working relationship with Italians because I, I raced for, you know, with their help for five of the six years that I went over there. And uh, But then I didn't know who he was. I didn't really know. He's just another guy. You know, right. Against. And, uh, you know, afterwards, after it was all over with and done with, you know, you look and say, well, how about that? That's, that's pretty amazing. This young guy went on to wind up being one of the top Formula One guy. But it, it was interesting to me in my in my karting career, especially going over Europe, that I, I got that noticing after I'd been over there for a few years that guys that I was racing against anywhere from 18 months to two years later were sitting in a Formula One. And it was a lot of them that that happened. I mean, I, I guarantee you there had to be six to nine of them that, that I raced karts against. And the next thing I know, I'm reading and hearing about them in the Formula One car. So that had a lot to do with me making my transition into the NASCAR program. After I won the thing, there really wasn't any any other real reason to keep doing it. And a lot of crazy stuff that happened in my life. I had some, uh, that, that year, 78, was a, uh, my wife and I separated and just a lot of nutty stuff happened, and I said, I'm going to go try and see if I can do anything in the professional ranks. All these other guys that I race carts against and outrun a lot of these guys, I run a Formula One, surely I, maybe I can do something here in the States. So then I started looking around at different forms of racing and immediately went to the all-open wheel stuff first, looking at that, because that's all I'd ever done. But then a, a total stranger called me one day and, asked me if I would be interested in looking in the NASCAR program, and then he started telling me all all the benefits of it. And uh, so they arranged a meeting, and I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, and met with the people at the Speedway there, and they introduced me around and worked it out where I got a trial, you know, a test drive in, in a stock car, and I found out it was a lot harder to drive than they look like they are. <laughs> and, uh, Who was the stranger? Crashed in the car right off the bat. Didn't you know that was kind of like okay, this is a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be. Excuse me. Who was the stranger? Um, uh, my mind just went blank. He was a actually the editor of Car and Driver magazine at the time. He was from uh, New York, a fellow named Gene, and uh, he had he had originally had some Mississippi roots, and that's that's why he had some interest in me and called me. William Jeans. Now, did the Lowe's Motor Speedway promoter have any influ- influence on you about choosing to go NASCAR racing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at that time, <clears throat> the open-wheel racing series were all in real disarray. And when you talk to the team owners and the different people that were involved with it, they couldn't even guarantee you they were going to even have a season that next year. You know, they didn't know whether they were going to have sponsorship. They didn't know, you know, what was going to happen rule package-wise and stuff. 
it was just a lot of uncertainty in that arena. Then when I went to the NASCAR race, it looked like, you know, it was the Super Bowl plus, you know, steroids. And I thought, wow, there's quite a bit of difference here. You know, I don't know about this going around in circles business, but uh, as far as the health of the organization goes, you could tell one of them was on steroids and the other one was anemic. And I said, you know, I think maybe I'd best look at this program. And then when I got in the car and to drive them, and I met the concrete wall pretty quick and realized, wait just a minute, I'm just going from the smallest, lightest, best handling vehicle on four wheels to the worst, the heaviest, least amount of tire for the horsepower that there is. Hmm. How did you... It's a pretty good challenge. I've always been one for a challenge. <laughs> you know, and so I said... This will, this will be a challenge. So how did your first year go? Well, in what, what area? <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to explain. Well, in, in racing, in, in being out there on the I track and competing. I first car. I actually, I mean, this is, a, this is a really stupid story. If you can only imagine how, how, how little I knew. I bought a used stock car from a guy in Chicago. Is that dumb or what? <laughs> Not the place you would think about getting a car for NASCAR racing. Not a good idea. It was not a good idea. But I bought this car, but it turned out that the good Lord was looking after me anyway because Harry Hyde had built the car originally. And so we brought it back to Charlotte and uh, started this little team there. I think we had three guys on our team. So it was just a really a shoestring deal. And uh, the guy that mentored me had been a driver years and years before, a fellow named Daryl Derringer. And Daryl knew everybody, and uh, he he called Harry up and said, "Look, we got one of your old cars. Any chance we could get you go through this thing and and kind of spruce it up and get it fixed up?" And it just so happens that Harry was in a particular position at that time. He had some time on his hands. He had all his stuff ready for Daytona. He said, "Yeah, so bring it on over here. We'll work on it." And they made that thing look like a new shiny penny. I mean, it was amazing. And uh, went down to Daytona and had a great race and uh, won the race and they stole it from me. And, uh, it, was, it was just, you know, we got off to a great start. That first season, we had several top ten finishes. It was pretty amazing. But to not know a thing about what, what we were doing, uh, you know, karting teaches you the basics of how to race. And if you learn those basics, and learn them well, you can race anything, I'm convinced. Yeah, very true. But if you do well in carts, and you're doing it all yourself, not just sitting in it and somebody else doing everything, but if you actually understand the mechanics of the cart and what makes it work and all that that goes with it, you can translate all that over there. I had to learn what shocks and springs and sway bars and all that stuff did. It took me about a year to figure that out. But once I did that, then we then we got off to got to moving along pretty good. Yeah, because on the go kart, all you have is weight to move around, you know, and a little bit of tire sizes, but you don't mess with that as much as air pressure. And then to uh, go into something like uh, Winston Cup, then you know, in, in the in the eighties, in the early eighties, the nineteen eighty, as a matter of fact, or that would have been, uh, was that your first year in 1980? Yeah, yeah. So what year car was that that you used? Everybody was running a 1977 Monte Carlo. Big old honking, huge thing. Oh, yeah. 3,800 pounds. 112-inch wheelbase. 
but ran over, yes, ran over over uh, 200 miles an and, and, CC, those are the cars that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that we see, uh, running at the racetrack. When you see a Chevelle or a Monte Carlo, yeah. a little bit longer car than what the new type cars are, mm-hmm. those cars are exactly what Blake was running when he started running Winston Cup at Daytona. They raced those cars at Daytona. Wow. They, they prepped them similarly the way that the guys are prepping them today, other than the motors that they put on them. Talk to us a little bit about the motors that they actually had in the cars at that time. Back then, the, you know, a good motor was probably 600 to 650 horsepower. They had a late model motor on CC. Yeah. And, and now, you know, I mean, that was just the technology just wasn't there. Cylinder heads and stuff like that. Most of the motors were cast iron. I mean, the block and the heads and everything were cast iron back then. Yeah. They, they weren't aluminum stuff. Wasn't even, there wasn't much of it around, and it wasn't even... They didn't allow it. It wasn't illegal. You know, you had to use a, the manufacturer's cylinder head with with block. You know, time. but it, it, it was kind of crazy. Just a lot of the stuff that that happened. But amazingly, you know, without the restrictor plates, those cars went really fast. It was it was pretty bizarre. And then 1980, the next year, they downsized the cars. I ran the first year with the big car, and then the next year they downsized it to. The, if you stop thinking about those mobiles and uh, cutlasses and a lot of that stuff that was in the in the 80s. All Did the they shorten the wheelbase then, too? They had to shorten the wheelbase and narrow The biggest thing is they narrowed them up. I, I can't remember how much it was. It seemed like it was about six inches. It was a lot. They really narrowed the cars up a bunch. And in those days, GM and Ford and uh, uh, the other... Dodge all, all GM was in the, uh, every make. I mean, Chevrolet, Buick, Pontiac, Oldsmobile, all of them were running. Were the manufacturers um, really um, into it at that time? Into it. A lot of people. A lot of people think that the manufacturers do a whole lot more than they they did during my racing career. While I was doing racing, you know, they provided the very top team some cash. And trucks and cars and sheet metal and just some stuff. But really, technology-wise, they didn't. They didn't have a clue what was going on. You know, they they tried to help a little bit. And I know in the mid '90s, they sent some engineers to a team that I was working with, and you know, we had to educate the engineers as to what was going on. They were trying to do crazy stuff. You know, it, it was it was it was just an animal of its own, and unless you're there every day, all day, you just there's no way for somebody from the outside, I don't care, smartest Einstein to come in there, and if he's not familiar with what you're doing, it's not going to work. It's not going to help you. It'll be a hindrance instead of a help. Do you think that they should have stuck with, uh, with the cars being a manufactured item? I know they couldn't do it today with the way that they've changed stuff, but they could, you know. Uh, do you think that they should have stuck more with that instead of the product that you get today? It's no wonder. Uh, let, me, let me tell you. That. I'll tell you the real story behind that whole deal. The truth of the whole matter is, you know why they all look the same now? Why? Because the fans and the media forced NASCAR to do it. Don't blame us and the, the media. Fans. I'm a racist. What? I'm telling you, the fans and the media drove them to doing it, and and this is how it, this is why it happened. After every race, whoever won 
their fans and the media that supported them were the only ones that were happy. And everybody else called NASCAR everything under the sun and complaining about whoever won having too much advantage. Right. NASCAR could never please everybody. They could never level the playing field. They could never make the field level in everybody's eyes. Everybody's car looked a little different, and everybody's motor was a little different. Everybody's little stuff was a little different. And it got to where they just got beat up so bad. Did they get their feelings hurt? I don't think it was a case of getting their feelings hurt. I think it was that when when the sport started really growing and getting a lot more media attention in the 90s, you know, you started getting Fortune 500, all the Fortune 500 top 10 car companies in the Fortune 500 involved, and millions and millions of dollars start getting poured into it, and they're doing just tremendous amount of uh, hospitality, and there's just, the fan base just grew huge, and all these people are complaining that their favorite didn't win, and NASCAR was just in a point of rock and a hard place, I mean... And, I mean, I was part of it. I was part of the fight, too. We were always trying to get our car to have a little unfair advantage if we could get it. But and as whoever screamed the loudest and had the most pull, you know, could finagle things. And they they would skew tests. They'd do anything to try to, to get them to change a rule to help them a little bit. And then the guys would go out and, you know, and try to milk that rule change or whatever it is. But when they finally came down to the point that, you know, the only way we're going to ever do this is we give everybody the same. We make the same templates, and everybody's stuff's got to fit it. I don't care what brand you are, you got to fit this. And That's a, now, now the competition is closer than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Any form of racing, probably right now. It's amazing. Hmm. I'm tight it is. But that's the real story. That's why it's really happening. So obviously you think that was a, that was the right thing for them to do then? And so I'm, you know, do you want to have headaches and and try to explain your way out of everything every day? I mean, if every day you went to work, if the phone rang off the wall and somebody's just cussing you out and raising cane with you and making your life miserable, would you want to keep doing that, or would you want to do something where you could the phone wouldn't ring? Yeah, there you go. Does GM and uh, the other uh, Ford and and uh, Dodge today pump? Uh, Millions of dollars into NASCAR? I don't know. You know, I've, I've been out now about 10 years, so uh, I can't tell you what's really going on there. I just, I just know in the past when I was involved, the top teams for each manufacturer got some, you know, some financial support with equipment, you know, whether it be some really expensive dynamometers or test equipment or this, that, and the other that, you know, they'd supply stuff like that to them. I don't know if they ever wrote them checks or not, but they gave them, you know, stuff that they were going to have to write a check for themselves if they didn't, you know, didn't get the equipment or whatever. Like, how did the experience of racing NASCAR change from you when you went to being your own team and being your own car owner to driving for a car owner? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. A lot less worry? I don't have that stress on me to have to worry about making payroll every Friday, you know, and worrying about, you know, what was going to happen. So it made racing more enjoyable. 
Yeah, it made it more enjoyable. Actually, what it allowed me to do is just focus that much harder. Yeah. Because you know, I could I could pour more of my attention into the actual race car itself. I, in every scenario I was ever in, I was still very very involved with the car. Uh, I guess they um, ran my own team three times. I guess it was, and then managed teams for other people. And uh, most of the time, wherever I was, I was helping manage the thing too. Now, is your is your son Lakespeed Junior? Is he racing NASCAR? No, uh, he works for Joe Gibbs uh, and runs that high performance oil program that they have. Okay. He was a marketing uh, graduate from University of Tennessee, and uh, they hired him to to run that oil program for him. So he's running all over the world selling the best racing engine oil out there is out there. Tell us about your uh, victory in 1988 at the. Uh Trans South 500 in Darlington. Uh, sure, you had a stripe that day after that win, but tell us what that was like for you. Well, it was it was a huge relief. Uh, you know, you, you had to go backwards from that and, and go back to uh, the beginning. Of, I think it's about the fourth race of 1986. I got fired. Uh, right, at the, you know, four races into the season, team split up that we'd been with for the year before that. And, uh, I was sitting around here wondering if, if my career was over, would anything happen again? Because it was, you know, it was a bad time of year not to have a job, and it's hard to find a seat open, you know, in a season like that. And sure enough, nothing ever did open. But some miracles happened uh, again. The good Lord did some miracles in my life, and we wound up uh, building our own team. And we spent the rest of 1986 building buildings and cars and putting equipment in and putting together people. And we were testing at Daytona, not testing at uh, Talladega in December of 86. And we ran a limited schedule in 87. I don't think we ran but maybe 16 races or something like that in 87. Kind of a tune-up. And then 88 was, you know, we really had all our ducks in a row and had had another off-season to get caught up some more and build some more cars and get all our equipment. And the interesting thing to us was you had a bunch of guys that were just really dedicated and working hard. We had a great team spirit, and everybody worked together just unbelievably well. And uh, we went to the first race and thought we were going to win it. I mean, we ran up front, lead the race a bunch, and had an engine break. Went to another race, and we led, had the whole field a lap down, and figured out a way to lose that race. And then we did the next race, and we led a lot of it and thought we could win it, and I think we finished second. And we went to another race, <clears throat> and I'm running really well there. And something happened. kept us from winning. We led a lot of the race. And Dawson, we came to Dawson, and finally we led a lot of that race, and finally nothing bad happened. We won the race, had everybody down a lap, but one car had him almost a lap down. We had, we had a, we were just hot as a pistol. We were really running well. Just little knick-knack things kept us from winning every race we went to. And then when we got to Darlington, it was like, wow, finally, we finally pulled one of these things off. And it was just a, a tremendous relief for us. And uh, you know, then we felt like, man, we, we got. Do you remember the date? Oh yeah. So we we feel like we got the world by the tail now. We're, we're gonna, you know. Money will be flowing here. Sponsorships will be coming in. Everything will be wonderful. Well, we ran great all year long. 
And at the end of the season, there wasn't any sponsorship showing up. And I found that I learned the hardest lesson in racing. I don't care if you win all the races or not, you still better have a very, very good marketing department or you'll be out of business. That's the truth. Well, you did lead most of those laps of that race. Uh, must have been a great day for you. You know, uh, one of our Florida residents, David Rudiman, just got his win the other day. And a little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking to his cousin, Sean, that's on his team there. And they just see them going through that. I can imagine uh, what that must have been like for you, uh, uh, you know, having the career and having things, like you said, you know, you you have ups and you have downs and the Lord works in mysterious ways and you finally get that day and everything comes together and uh, you definitely deserve it. Uh, how many years were you in NASCAR? I'm 19. I started at the end of 1979 and uh, got injured in June, of, I think it was June, July, uh, at Sonoma in 98. So, did math. Almost 20 years. Did you have um, a racing uh, good relationship with Dale Earnhardt Sr.? Hmm, no, we, we didn't see that uh, very good at all. <laughs> we a lot of friction there for some reason. I never did figure out exactly why it was. But just... <laughs> well, you know you're not going to get along with everybody. And, uh... No, you don't. It's human beings, you know, and human beings, you've got people to get along well with, you've got people to kind of neutral, and you've got some that just seem like you just, there's always friction for some reason. But that's part of life. That's just being a person, I think. The carding thing is uh, where I've gone back now. Uh, Steve Peterson uh, gave me a, just worked me over about three years ago, calling me, calling me, calling me, calling me. He said, you need to come out here. You're not doing anything. You come out here and run these carts with us in Charlotte. And uh, I finally broke down and went out there one Wednesday evening and rode his cart some and I got Got through the end of that thing. I said, man, I forgot how much fun these things were. When are you going to come back? Said, well, we'll be back out here in about two weeks. So I kept coming back out and riding his stuff for about a month there. And I finally got feeling bad. And I said, see, I'm just wearing your stuff out. And, and uh, I need to, I guess I just want to buy my own. I'm going to have to get, me out, get my own car and play with play some more. Besides that, I want to work on it. And, uh, so that was the beginning of it. I called the bureau people, and uh, that's what I've won the cart, you know, won the world championship with a bureau and a Perilla. So I um, called them up, ordered me up a cart, and started monkeying around out there, playing around about three years ago. And uh, they just play and practice and whatever, but they didn't ever race. And, uh, so I'm, finally I decided I want to race, so I want to see. <laughs> I'm tired of just sitting there on the race. And uh, so WK came, had a event there, and I ran that one. It was my first race since 1979. Everybody looked at me like, what's this old guy doing? He's crazy. And uh, and I ran a Stars race later that year there, too. I really felt out of place then. But uh, the following year, they didn't come back. And so I went road racing, took my cart converted into a road race cart and ran the uh, WK Road Race Series last year. And had a big time with that. How old are you now, Lake? 61. 
61, when you got back in that go-kart, man, it takes uh, it's a lot easier driving cars. I don't know. They're, they're all <laughs> physically. They're all physically. I think so much of it's in your head. It's like, I don't know, somebody was it's more of the guys at the kart track. Somebody brought up how many laps you had made or something. And I kind of looked around the garage, I mean, the pit area there, and I said, I'll bet you I'll have more laps on a go-kart than all everybody here combined. <laughs> He looked at me and said, you're crazy. I said, no, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea how many laps I have in the heart over the years. But, uh, Do these folks that race against you know who you are? <laughs> yeah, they figured it out after a little while. It didn't take too long for them to figure it out. Well, they probably don't think that, no, this isn't the guy. This isn't the guy. That guy? Now, this is the guy that's named after him. Speaking of that, Blake, i got to ask you. I, I mean, I... I had one cousin. We I talked to him and his dad in Charlotte about oh, probably four or five years ago when he was still running carts. And uh, there was a big event. They had some big race out there in Charlotte. And I went up because I had some other friends that I hadn't seen in years. I wanted to go see. And some guys from Europe were there and whatever. And uh, talked to Scott and his dad and them. And we kind of, after visiting around a little bit, we decided that we must have been distant cousins, maybe on down the back of the road, you know, just not that many speeds in, in the United States. So that's it. That's as, that's as close as we are. Well, um, i got to ask you that one of my one of my friends in, uh, during my life was going to name his son his first name Speed. First. And it happened to be after you being Lake Speed. And I always wanted to know... Obviously, your parents named you, but how did the name Lake Speed come about? Okay. My dad was one of seven Speed boys. So, first, right off the bat, now, back in Mississippi, Speed, pretty common name back there. It's not like Williams or something, but it's, you know, it's not real, real unusual. Got a lot of cousins and people running all over Mississippi. My dad, I came along, I was an accident. Uh, I came along eight years after the rest of the kids. You know, they had three kids, and then eight years later, they had me. When I showed up, Dad was 49 years old. He, uh, he decided they named me after his... He had two good friends that had neither been married, you know. Uh, he's one that had been married, so he named me after these two guys. He gave me their last name. The first guy's name was Bob Lake. And then the second guy's name was Paul Chambers. So my name is Lake Chambers Speed. <laughs> well, it's definitely a name that grabs people's attention, and they uh, yeah. don't forget it easily. It was always, uh, it was more times it was a blessing than it was a curse, but if you weren't running very good, it could really give somebody a lot of <laughs> stuff to work with. It make life miserable, too, but. Oh, I'm you sure. Have to learn how to let things roll off, you know. There's going to be a lot of jokes made too. How the Italians deal with that name? When you're talking about the Europeans, they they must have really been, said this. I, I have no clue. You know, <laughs> you can't. It's all I could understand. You know, get across carburetor, man. I need a carburetor or give me a gear or whatever. But I didn't. I wasn't near fluid enough to know what they were thinking about my name or whatever. <laughs> 
Well, Lake, it has been a pleasure and an honor to have you on Inside Florida Racing tonight with us. We have really enjoyed your time here. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. I'm sure they have. And uh, those who are listening right now live and the many, many folks that come back all week long and download the show um, and take the podcast off, thank you so much. Can I plug one thing before we Absolutely. We're having a huge vintage cart race at uh, Dismore's place at Newcastle coming up here on uh, June the 18th. I think it's 18th and 19th, 17th, 18th and 19th. And there's going to be all the guys, a lot of people from karting history will be there. And four twin-engine, C-open type go-karts for the people that still know what that is, too. 135cc engines with alcohol and everything running. Yeah. It probably was even back in the 70s when we, when we used to run them. There's going to be a great show put on up there at Dismore's. Uh, fellow named Jeff Brown putting it all on. But uh, any of the cart enthusiasts, especially the guys who have been around for a long time, uh, if you don't know about this, uh, you can go on the website and check it out with Dismore's place up there at Newcastle. And, uh, be What's the name of the website? Like the Newcastle Raceway or something like that, I think is what Bismore's place goes by. I think that's what it is. I think it's Newcastle Speedway or Newcastle Cartway or something like that. Newcastle. Anyway. Yeah, if all you got to do is Google Google Mark Dinsmore and Newcastle and you'll get it. Right. right. All right, Lake, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, we'll talk to you again sometime. Thank you, buddy. All right, thank you. Bye. Thanks so much, Lake. You're welcome. What a great interview. That was fantastic, Rob. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a guy that people have seen on TV for over all the years. And, you know, another guy that butted head with Dale Earnhardt. Come Mm -hmm. on, man. (laughs) Got to love it.